Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 144. And the Weekly Word Podcast is an ultra-endurance resource. In the Weekly Word Podcast, I discuss what we can do in order to achieve our ultra-endurance outcomes. Most of this discussion is applicable to almost any ultra-endurance athlete. Heck, any endurance athlete. I have found that the topics we talk about that my athletes ask me about, want me to discuss more or explain in more depth, are what most ultra-endurance athletes are interested in. We talk training, nutrition, recovery, sleep, strength, strategy, balancing daily life, mindset, and the curiosity with what the ultra-endurance lifestyle unleashes within us why it resonates so deeply with so many of us. I try to share and educate on how to reach an outstanding fitness level, maintaining a strong mind and the mental resilience that comes with it, as well as overall health in the form of nutrition, sleep, and recovery. I also try to deliver advice, observations, and tips for you, the Weekly Word Podcast listener. I recently read a social media post from one of my former athletes who left AIM to work with another coach. And athletes leaving my coaching, you know, I don't pretend or attempt to be a coach for everyone, so it's totally okay. But I did read um, in the post, it's not all about volume and grinding, the athlete wrote, but also about recovering and resting. Grinding being one of the terms I like, the type of training and mindset to keep working at something at a steady pace. Grinding, many of my athletes know grinding is sort of a term I borrowed from another strength and conditioning coach that I worked with for the North Face athletes a couple years ago. (laughs) That's like 10 years ago now. And I I like that word, grinding, the type of training and mindset to keep working at something at a steady pace diligently. So you don't give yourself a lot of rest, but you do give yourself enough rest to do the next exercise round routine um, format effectively for the purpose of wearing the body and mind down gently. So we're trying to wear down the mind and body gently while still maintaining good form technique and mental focus. As you might hear from that comment, you can understand where it's coming from. Um, it's true. I believe in volume and grinding. I am an ultra-endurance coach. My training and coaching over the years has changed, and I surely have increased the amount of rest and re- recovery for my athletes. I've listened to the feedback over the years and tried to balance more rest and recovery into the prescription. But, and here's the big but, I've consistently found that it makes no difference. Most endurance athletes, especially ultra-endurance athletes, the ones out of college and who've gone pro in something other than the sports we're preparing for, are barely able to keep up with the training volume I prescribe and what is needed for an ultra-endurance event. So I've also learned over the years that those wanting more rest are avoiding the real issue at hand. You gotta do the work. We barely fit in the training. We went pro in something other than the sport, the disciplines, the event we're preparing for. 
And so fitting in the time for a 100-mile run, for an ultra-endurance event, for a multi-day stage race, for, you know, a 20K swim, for an ultra-endurance adventure that you self-curated, for an ultraman, those are a lot of hours. And the sacrifices and the time that people, individuals put in, is very hard to keep up with, let's say, even 80% of the training. And many of you know from this podcast that the 80-20 rule is something I go by big time. If you can get in 80% of the training for your event, you will be successful, defined by successful of what we set out in the beginning of this endurance endeavor journey to do. Now, many grow in their fitness and their confidence and they start moving their goal further out. It's a moving target, right? What you once considered to be an incredible accomplishment and achievement just to finish as you get fitter and stronger, you go, well, actually, I probably could do this. So something to keep in mind as you are also preparing for next season or in your own goal setting exercises, don't move the target recognize that the target is an accomplishment and once you have uh, once you are confident and strong and can project into that you will achieve your goal take a moment pause see where you've come from see what you've accomplished look back and realize the incredible work and sacrifice and time and support you got in putting into this then If you're thinking about changing your goal or your expectations or your desired outcome, then at least you've gone about it with a more rational, calculated approach, objective approach. Am I a fan of changing goals before the event has even taken place? No, but many of us are naturally inclined to do that because we are a new version of ourselves as we get closer to the event. We've upgraded the system, right? We are no longer the person, the athlete, the human, the soul, mental and physical beings than we were six months ago when we started this training. And so changing desired outcomes is okay because again, we're a new version, we're an upgraded version of ourselves, but as long as we go into that with the clarity of that we've achieved or we're about to achieve said intended outcome from early on and feel proud, feel accomplished, feel successful in and feel the positive effects of that in achieving that component come the event. And then if you achieve the secondary goal, the, the higher stipulated one, because of the new version of you, that's fine too. Because if there's a space between the two, said intended original goal and newly adjusted goal, be in that space between the two. Of course, it's great if you hit both goals, but being in the space between the two also gives you a sense of, wow, look how far I've come. Look what I've achieved. Look how I blew through my original goal. And it just helps you in the process of also setting future goals as well as outcomes or times or results. And it's just a better calibrating process, I should say. Did I get off of what I was going to (laughs) say? 
So my training has changed over the years. And I talked about, you gotta do the work. So what do I mean by rest and recovery? Define, Chris, what making no difference means. I'm not talking about recovering from the training workload or volume. I'm talking about recovery as a training technique that will make you better, stronger, faster by doing these techniques instead of training. Massage, napping, contrast, hydrotherapy, cupping, acupuncture, stretching, chiropractic treatment are some of these promising, fancy, recuperative techniques. While none of these are unfamiliar to us, even new in the endurance community, training, etc., there's very little, if any, evidence that they make a measurable difference in accelerating the development of our performance, of high-end performance, of elite performance, of significant performance gains for anybody. To be clear, I'm not talking about sleep, proper nutrition, rest days, etc. as part of the training cycle or progression. My experience with recovery techniques mentioned play out like this. An athlete comes to me raving about a massage therapist, a new recovery technique, kinesio taping, cupping, tri needling, etc., a great chiropractor, or this amazing yoga class. They'll often ask my opinion, to which I've always responded, I don't do it, but if it works for you, keep doing it. Then a few weeks later, I'll circle back or I'll hear from the athlete. Well, more importantly, I'll hear in their training logs that it's no longer in there, meaning they didn't add it. So I'll ask, are you still doing this on the side in order to sort of prepare their training and their schedule to incorporate that? So I'll circle back and ask how it's going. And inevitably, they'll say, oh, I've stopped going. Why? Either the stuff stopped working, they didn't have the time, and or it became too expensive, prohibitively too expensive to do it enough so that they're feeling the same way they felt in the beginning. Again, don't get me wrong. I don't think that yoga, meditation, and chiropractic treatment are harmful to performance. I just think that spending energy and resources, time, on comfort are indicative to our drive, our motivation, and our eventual success. Let me come at this from a different angle. I've had plenty of athletes both work hard and grind in their daily training and pamper themselves with a massage and dry kneeling as well. These athletes, elite world-class ultra-endurance athletes, are the most professional athletes I've worked with about their fitness, And they understand they can't escape the hard work on the trails or in the pool or on their bikes or in the gym. But they always will tinker with recovery techniques for the slightest edge. Recovery and rest are secondary to the training. The daily hard work and the grind for these athletes are the primary focus. They don't replace the training. To say it differently, recovery and rest serve and support hard work, consistent training, and the grind, meaning they are put in place to ensure the best possible training and adaptation can occur. So 
caring for your body, for the hardware, for the chassis, in order for it to take on the load of the training. In endurance, but even more so in ultra endurance, the fitness demands of the arenas I work within are clear, defined, actually universal. There is no special finish line of a hundred miler or an ultraman. There is no special summit of Everest or Annapurna for an overweight middle-aged athlete that is a parent to three kids. That gets back to one of the discussions and, and jokes I used to have with one of my athletes who did Ironman. And he used to always say, well, I won my age group or my category. And I was like, oh, I would always say, well, what was that? And he'd say, well, father of four who owns a construction company aged 45 to 49, who's six foot three and weighs over 200 pounds. <laughs> I was like, okay, yes, you won that. But again, there's no special, special forces selection for a petite, smaller female soldier or super skinny recruit. The fitness demands of most ultra endurance events are the same for everyone who attempts them. The elite look to do them faster and the beginners look to just do them. The tax and cost for both of these groups of athletes is similar though. And the distance is still the distance. Ask any elite 100 mile runner and they are in disbelief in how determined the runners are that take twice as long on the course. Pro triathletes shake their head in amazement of the 15 to 17 hour finishers. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that they're still getting ready for 140.6 or a 100 mile run. The elites do it faster. Their energy output to do it faster is high and effort level and pain is high. The same as the beginner who still has to navigate those same 100 miles and the same elevation gain and the same downhills, but for a longer period of time. And when you ask a professional triathlete, when they're doing things in seven hours and 50 minutes or eight and a half hours, and they think, man, these people, these athletes are out there for twice as long as me, they're in amazement because the pain and the perseverance and the work and the grinding forward for 16 hours is different than eight hours. So again, there is no difference in the distance. I coach for outstanding fitness to thrive, not just survive, to be fitter than the course. Sure, it's about individual scheduling how we can put the workload into your training and into your life, not into your training life, into your life. But the work is the work that needs to get done. Many think in my coaching that my training is adjusted to a different type of finish line or as if they're doing less work. They're doing the work. It's about scheduling it into their current life. So it will take longer for them to ramp up. But Epic 5 is still 550Ks in five days. Whether you, <laughs> however you want to go about that, it's still having to run 250 kilometers in five days. There's no way about that. There's no way around that. Whether you get your 
your individual training plan or not. The programming and training requirements are the same regardless of the athlete. We can spread it out. We take longer to ramp up. We build in a more gradual load. Like I said, we take longer. So it might take you 18 months to get ready for that versus an athlete that has more time, is more flexible, is younger, is an elite, whatever you want to say, however you want to define it. They can maybe get ready in six months or eight months, but the work is going to have to get done. Brings us back to this rest and recovery mode. You got to do the work. You can't replace, especially for us who have full-time work in other arenas other than training, who have families, where we don't have the gift of time all day. You still got to do the work and replacing the work with rest and recovery is not an option. It's not the best outcome growth to your training. The course doesn't care. The event doesn't care. The mountain doesn't care. You're not special. You got to do the work and be consistent. The, like we said, the mountain doesn't care. <laughs> Ultraman doesn't care if you had enough time to train, if you needed more recovery, if you needed X, Y, and Z. It's still the same distance. I will admit that training and grinding are certainly not as enjoyable as recovery and rest. Spending a day pampering the body versus a challenging 20-mile run, well, you know the answer to that. Chris, I'm just an amateur athlete. Why should I put myself through this? Along with the physical suffering of the grind comes the mental discipline it takes to commit to the work and train diligently with intention clarity and focus every day the mind is trained alongside the body and the mental fitness developed greatly influences event day performance we know this overall there's a hardening effect many of my athletes have relied upon this during difficult expeditions adventures races and surely some of their tactical missions as military athletes military operators. But more importantly, most endurance athletes understand that this hardening effect, this clarity and mental strength carries over to a lot more than just the athlete version of them. You gotta do the work. Well, it's been a few weeks since we've had a podcast and I've spent the last three, four weeks doing the work. <laughs> and so I wanted to sort of share the insights and so forth over the last few weeks. When I last left the podcast, I was heading to Aspen on a training camp, and that went really well. What is my training camp for? Well, the training camp is primarily for the events I have in the second half of the year. And you might say, well, what events are there? <laughs> because there aren't very many events these days. The events are the ones self-curated and the ones we're organizing together. In two weeks, here in the middle of August, running the Tahoe Rim Trail, 174 miles in about five days, which I'll go into more detail on how that's going to play out, why I chose to play it out like that and the training for it. But also... 
within three weeks of recovering from that, it's off to the Oregon Coast Ride, which will be 750 miles of cycling in seven days. So averaging over 100 miles a day with, you know, about six to 7,000 feet of climbing per day. And then from there, <laughs> having a few other individual adventures in between. So it's all about having a level of fitness to take on these endeavors adventures, expeditions, even work-related aspects, if you would call the Oregon Coast Ride work, and being fit enough, being strong enough, being durable enough to also still host or um, work during it. And so Aspen was an important seven days for me to ramp up some training volume, do things at an effort level and in a location altitude, that are more stressful, fatiguing, um, difficult for me, but also cycling and running with people that are faster, more powerful, fitter than I am. And so therefore being uncomfortable for many days in a row while doing things at altitude with limited recovery and pushing a bit harder, as well as stacking back-to-back -back longer days, a few back-to-back -back longer days in order to, again, see where I'm at with the fitness. I would say, and even Emily has commented to me, that my training has been not quite um, as focused, or should I say specific, towards Tahoe Rim Trail as she would have expected. I've not done many back-to-back -back longer run days. I'll do a longer run, 20 to 24 miles, and then the next day I'll go for a bike ride or the next day I'll do strength or the next day I'll go for, you know, a shorter run. Although actually not that much back-to-back -back running in general. And in the back of my mind with that is the concern or the knowledge of having that hamstring um, injury. Uh, I wouldn't say injury, but I was sidelined to no running in March and April. So therefore, knowing that I've ramped up gently May and June to a volume of being able to run 20 to 24 miles and recover pretty quickly from it is a gentler progression and training plan for myself than I usually would. But that was what I could do and what was necessary in order to show up in August with an understanding that I can run 174 miles. So the question becomes, what did I get out of Aspen? Fair amount of cycling, I would say uh, predominantly cycling, but in that, inserted in that time, was a uh, six and a half hour run of four passes, 28 miles, up uh, a beautiful epic loop just outside of Aspen, and something not only I've heard about, but I've always wanted to do, and it was well worth it. So 28 miles, six and a half hours, plenty hard. So four passes at 12,500 feet, the entire run over 10,000 feet. And the important thing there was not necessarily the run, because I felt fine or conservative, achy, and a little bit um, as if I was running heavy, not quite light and with good form and light footing as I would like to. It is what it is given the terrain, 
given the altitude and again running 28 miles off of two bigger cycling days 80 and 90 miles also again at altitude over passes and again riding at a effort level that's faster than i ride at home just it requires more to keep up with some stronger younger cyclists from there being able to not only do that run but then the next day do a six hour bike ride um, over independence pass and 12,000 feet and push hard up a long climb and still have the legs and the fitness and all that to sort of put that together that gave me enough insight and a boost in confidence that what I'm doing in my training is working am I confident that it's the path on how I would have usually trained for a Tahoe rim trail run no and that's the part where we all are stuck with a different narrative this spring. Remember until you know March 11th, I thought I was swimming 21 miles across Tahoe as my one of my events this summer. But instead, in May, I pivoted towards, huh, maybe I'll run around Tahoe. It's something I've always wanted to do on the Tahoe Rim Trail. So quickly, in a matter of six weeks, building up running volume, from zero, from two months completely off of running to being able to put put away 24, 25, even 28 miles at altitude, I was happy with where I was at. So what's the Tahoe Rim Trail? It's a trail that circumferences Lake, Lake Tahoe. It's up on the ridge all the way around, and it passes through some beautiful terrain. Views of Lake Tahoe most of the time, you do venture off into the deeper backcountry a few times. And like I said, it's about 174 miles. Plenty of people lately have been trying to FKT it and have FKT'd it. Killian Journey has one of the FKTs, I think the supported FKT. Um, just recently, like a week or two ago, the unsupported FKT was broken. A few female athletes just also this summer, as well as in the last two, three years, have really been aggressively uh, running that rim trail as well. So it's a pretty popular course. It's not going to be that empty. Um, it's August. It's you know COVID time. People aren't going very far. So it will be a uh, traveled, I wouldn't say heavily traveled, but it will be a traveled trail. And um, I'm not looking for an FKT, <laughs> for sure not. <laughs> um, so I've built the, the event, the self-curated event, specifically around a few parameters. One, I'd like to sleep in, my, in a bed and eat a meal and have a beer, basically, <laughs> every evening. Now, that's not possible. One of the evenings, you're just not anywhere to remove yourself from the trail for lack of a better description because i think my body will be tired enough that it will need to be removed so and then i also set up a second criteria and that is i would like it to be very similar to a um multi-day stage race meaning you know marathon de sable or any of the five deserts or a race across the planet or any of those um the grand to grand, any of those multi-day stage races where the running distances are set in a certain way. 
first few days are consistent in the distance, then by the fifth day or fourth day, you have the long march as it's called. And that's usually through the night and a longer day. And then you finish it off with a shorter day. Marathon de Sable, you have three or four, I'm not quite sure, I remember off the top of my head right now, days where it's about 25 to 30 miles, 22 to 30 miles of running, then you have a bigger, you know, 50-ish, 50 to 60 mile uh, long march, and then you finish it up with a 6 to 10 mile final day. This is rough estimates right now. Um, could I look it up quickly and record this so that I have exact details? Sure, but you all get the point. Um, no reason for that. Tahoe will be 40 miles the first day. Um, then I will cross a road after about 40 miles and get picked up and be brought down. I'll eat, I'll drink, I'll replenish, I'll rebuild, hopefully, and at uh, crack of dawn, sunrise the next morning, enter the trail exactly at the spot where I left it. Then the next day, day two, will be... Uh, 35 miles. Um, from there, I will again get off the trail once it crosses a road in um, Kingsbury and then uh, head down. Same sort of concept. Next morning, crack of dawn, enter the trail where I left it, and so forth. Then day three is a 30 mile day. So we're at 40, 35, 30. And then comes what is called the long march. In this case, it'll be a 51 miler two day affair where we're camping overnight in the backcountry called Desolation Wilderness. So the distance is about 51 miles, whereby one day we'll probably go 26, 27 miles, and then the next day we'll probably go 24 miles to cover that 51. And then the final day is 16.7 miles ish, approximately. There might be a scenario. We go a little bit further on the 27 mile day. Let's say we go 30 miles that day. And then we combine the last day, the, the remaining 16.7 into that so that it makes the final two days, let's say 67 or 68 miles. So about 34 miles a day. I don't know if that's a reality <laughs> um, because of the overnight and the food and so forth, but the support I have and people meeting me up on the trail. So it's a supported run. It is, uh, I'm carrying, I'm going pretty light because again, at the end of the day, I'm getting extracted from the trail um, so I can replenish, rebuild, resupply. It's not an FKT attempt. It's just 174 miles of running. That's the, that's the main purpose here. And it's an adventure and it's someplace close, manageable and allows for others to participate um, parts of it, join in for parts of it, join in for a lot of it, um, join in for all of it. And from there, you know, having a fun week in wilderness, out running, hiking, rucking, whatever you want to call it, um, should be fun. I'm thinking about 33, 34 hours. 35 hours of running um, over five days. Hopefully, uh, you know, that's how long it'll take. But so therefore, that's the event. And so from that, the training is looking, um, as I was saying with Aspen, is looking good. I'm just coming out of a block, my last block of training. It's July 28th of uh, running half the distance. 
I ran 20 miles the other day, then the following day, 17 and a half miles, you know, for the 35. Then yesterday I ran 15 for half of the 30 day. And then um, two days I'm going to run 15 again to make it half of the 30s and so forth. So that I basically do 85 miles, 86 miles in five days. And many of you who are um, familiar with my coaching, when it comes to ultra endurance events like an Ultraman or, you know, extremely long runs or um, other type of um, multi-day events, I do like to do percentages of the distance. So for an Ultraman, we build up to about 80, 80-ish percent of the distance over three days. The event is a three-day event, so we do similar, 80% of each day. That'll be pretty much the maximum of the training. Gives us enough of an insight as to the logistics and the training and the fitness and the fueling and so forth to then take that and go rested into, let's say, Ultraman in this case, or 100 milers, or multi-day expeditions of simulating, let's say, for my five deserts, guys, that they, they're sleeping out in the desert on the ground um, with limited supplies for a night or two just to feel what it'll be like day three, day four, when you're low on calories, when you're low on sleep because you slept in a tent with 30 other people and on, on a floor. And <laughs> so you want to be able to simulate and be familiar and be able to visualize what you are doing the event that you're doing and how you're doing it so that then come event day, you can be better prepared for the unexpected, for things outside of your control, for things that you didn't prepare for or plan for or visualize. A lot of this is mental space. And if we are familiar in our mind with what we can be familiar with, it frees up mental space, it frees up decision-making, it frees up creativity for the things we need that we're not plan, we didn't plan for, for a sudden temperature drop, for a sudden weather change with regards to rain or heat or whatever, for a change in course, for so many different things that could come up. But when we have an action plan or a visualization or we've done a simulation for the events that we can predict or the course or we're familiar with it or simulated in the proper elevation gain and how we'll feel or how we'll sleep or how we'll, you know, recover after a long day and can just sort of go through the motions and again, spend our energy whether that's decision-making energy or recovery energy or mental energy on the things that we need in order to have the best possible next day, next recovery, uh, well, not next, the best possible recovery in order to be ready for the next day. Just finished a simulation, um, the 50% simulation. And so, yeah, now it's about um, winding it down and heading into the self-curated adventure. The beauty of this too, and as many of you probably can relate to, when you don't have a finish line, as in, well, there's a finish line, sorry. When you don't have a competition or time expectation or anything like that, 
I know there's going to be a lot of walking and hiking and stopping and taking pictures and running and so forth. So there is no hurry. And so it takes the edge off of the training or the urgency or the, the pressure because, you know, I'm going to give myself nine hours for the first day uh, of the 40 mile run day. And it's about 8,000 um, elevation gain in 40 miles. So it's a significant amount of climbing and obviously a 40 mile run is a 40 mile run, but yeah, give myself nine hours. Could I do it faster? Sure. But why? <laughs> Just to hurry back to the house um, and then recover? Sure, I could do that. Or I could save my energy, go at a relaxed pace, um, soak it all in, as well as keep in mind that I still have 134 miles to go after this day. And by being smart and conservative the first few days, just like I tell my Marathon de Sable guys and my Five Desert guys and my multi-stage race guys and gals, sorry, um, you know, nothing displays itself. No fitness displays itself. There's no point in pushing or doing anything until day four or five, especially in a um, multi-day stage race. Because until then, it's all sort of you can get through it. But what goes wrong on day four or five or late in day three is magnified. It's exponential. And you anything you gain, let's say you go an hour or two faster per day or an hour faster per day on the first three days, you can lose three hours. You can lose six hours so quickly on a day four or a day five on the uh, long march. Um, it's... So you want to stay connected to that outcome. And if you have extra energy, extra fitness, extra good sensations on the back end, great. That's where you want it. That's where you're running past people or moving past people. That's when you're motivated. That's when you have tailwinds. That's when you're positive and excited and smiling because you feel good. Anybody can feel good early on. But who can feel good late? Who can connect to their abilities, to their fitness, to the work they've done late in an ultra-endurance event? As I always like to say, this isn't about going fast. It's about slowing down the least. And so again, without that pressure and that urgency of having to be somewhere, and going fast, it's going to be a different type of event. And it also obviously factored into the training because of this. Um, knowing that I can go for a 20 or 24 mile run and not be in a hurry. Um, because I know on event day or event week, I'm not going to be in a hurry. Switch this up. If my second day takes seven hours or eight hours, so be it. You know, I'm starting at 6 a.m., on day one, I'm, I'm looking to get picked up around 3, 3.30 p.m. That's nine, nine and a half hours. Like, that's plenty. That'll put me back into civilization, um, re re refueling and replenishing, um, you know, by 3.30 and 4. So that come, I'll have a normal dinner, be in bed early. I mean, that's, what more can you want? balancing all this when you're doing your self-curated adventure, and that's why I'm bringing all this up, just to help you think about how you want to go through this and how you want to think about multi-day adventures and how you want to curate it so it's 
So it's an enjoyment and it's an experience and it's an adventure and it's a positive and it's joyful um, for you and memorable and meaningful because there's not this rush or uh, urgency or pressure to go fast. It's 174 miles of running. I think it's plenty. <laughs> so that's the Tahoe Rim Trail. And uh, yeah, I've, uh, I had five people that I was going to run with. Then one had to back out because he's supporting an athlete of his at a race at um, a bigger uh, ultra. We we're down to four. Then another person got injured. We we're down to three. Then another person, um, my good friend Billy, Billy Yang, overdid it, <laughs> as I like to say, um, or as I told him on the John Muir Trail. He hiked it a ton. And well, he hiked the entire thing and didn't realize how much those the weight of the pack and his feet and the blisters would affect him. And he came back pretty shredded from that. His feet pretty shredded, his fitness pretty shredded. Um, and I have a feeling his adrenals and his overall energy levels are pretty shot just because it's a it's 240 miles of backpacking with a bunch of weight is an exhausting. Uh, process three weeks of grinding it out um, in hot temperatures and with a ton of elevation change to be ready for the Tahoe Rim Trail three weeks later would have been a, a, a big ask. So Billy backed out too. And none of my friends and none of the people who are supposed to join me do I have any type of remorse. I mean, we're, we all have our adventures and we all have our lives and our priorities. And what I always say with any of these things even an Ironman, even a half Ironman, heck, even a you know, marathon or a half marathon, just showing up healthy at the start line, being able to do it, having done most of the training, that's the accomplishment. And so getting ready for something like this and staying healthy, as well as other events and life not getting in the way, that's the beauty. And as I've been saying all quarantine, COVID, um, shelter in place time, we take what we can get. My athletes and Billy in this case, let's say, Billy took what he can get. He had an opportunity to do the John Muir Trail. Good for him. I'm totally stoked. I've always wanted to do that. I'll want to run it and Tahoe Rim Trail will be a big insight in how I'll want to run the John Muir Trail. Um, and again, I should clarify, running, you know, I'm going to run most of it, but a lot of these trails, especially John Muir or the bigger traverses in, let's say, Colorado, you can't run all of it. You're hiking a lot of it. You're rucking a lot of it. You're scrambling a lot of it. It's just not runnable up or down because it's too steep down or the footing's too bad down. So don't um, plan on many of the 100 milers even out in the big mountains in the west out here, you're not running. You're running maybe, if you can, 60% of it, 70% of it for most of us mortals. I mean, of course, the top guys, they're incredible. What they run up and especially what they can run down and the pace they can hold running down, that's a whole separate and special category. But for us mortals, yeah, we're, we're doing a ton of hiking. And so therefore, with John Muir, with Tahoe Rim, well, Tahoe Rim looks pretty runnable. I'll tell you after. <laughs> but so now we're down to two. 
it is another guy in me. And he just notified me. <laughs> he's one of my athletes. He notified me that uh, he's in the midst of probably acquiring another company. <laughs> and so he might not be able to join for a lot of it either. So I might be the only guy doing it. Originally, we were going to be five to finish it. But there'll be plenty of others who are friends that are joining for components of it. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people, should, I'm exaggerating. A few people want to surely join on the overnight. That sounds like an adventure. And so they'll run 25 with me the one day and 25 the next day, which is still with a backpack and all your gear and loaded, it's still plenty. And I'll be very appreciative of all that support and camaraderie. So that's the adventure. And that starts August 8th, and I hope to be done on Thursday evening. What is that? Um, five days later, you know, the 13th. So that is that, the Tahoe Rim Trail. I just had an interesting conversation with a potential athlete that's looking to take on a major endurance challenge. This endurance challenge is looking to be probably around two and a half to three months long. And it's going to be entail uh, crossing continents. From that perspective, I can't really share too much because again, it's not up to me. I'm just the coach. And a lot of times there's, you know, media involved or a variety of different sponsors and the way things are presented PR for lack of a better description. But understanding this, the conversation was more around how we go about taking on an endurance challenge that's going to take up a significant part, not only of our lives, time. And you might say, well, any ultra endurance challenge does that, right? With the training and five-day stage race or, you know, 30-hour ultra run, whatever it is. Absolutely. But when it starts moving into two, three months, four, five weeks, six, seven weeks, a quarter of a year, that's when we're talking different prep. And this is a preliminary discussion. This is a interview, for lack of a better term. The conversation, in my opinion, and this is why I'm sharing it, revolves around a few factors. One, understanding on how much strain, stress, logistics, fatigue, uh, mood, emotions, this puts on family, business, community, all aspects of life in order to prepare for this. And taking on something like this a year ahead of time is the tight window. Two years ahead of time, probably more realistic. But when diving into these long expeditions, because this is an expedition, the, the challenge becomes understanding the full-time almost commitment it takes because the fitness, as we said earlier in the podcast, will not mask itself. That course, that distance, that day after day after day will be absolutely fatiguing beyond any type of training. And so it becomes a training question 
and a mindset question and an understanding or a familiarity with a type of fatigue and edginess and emotional roller coaster, um, that's part of it. That's all part of this prep and training. That's one aspect. So how do we balance that? How do we prepare for that? How do we have conversations around that? How do we um, work with the others in the support of this endeavor to ensure that you, the athlete, have the best possible support, outcome, um, training, prep, um, logistics? It's so much more than just the athlete in this case. And fitness, because the logistics and the support are a huge factor. The other aspect here, the second main point, is to understand the athlete, the athlete version of ourselves that we're looking to become. And this applies to all ultra endurance athletes. All of us might have different needs and requirements in order to be successful. The athlete version might have different requirements with regards to beliefs, with regards to narratives, with regards to physiology, with regards to um, sleep and recovery, nutrition, all those things. And what I'm getting at is we have a variety of different versions that we are. We have our family version. We have our personal version, our own held beliefs and narrative and the way we see ourselves in the world. But we also have the work version, right? I mean, others call it masks. I call it versions. But we put on a different mask for different roles. But in this case, the version that we're truly talking about here, the athlete version for an endeavor like this, is going to dominate and take over more and more components of the overall version we are. And with that, its requirements, its needs might really challenge the other versions of who we are. That could be anywhere from nutrition, right? I want this outcome and this outcome is important to me. But with that, um, am I willing to sacrifice other versions of myself, other beliefs that I have in order for that version, the athletic version for, that's helping me achieve the desired outcome? Am I willing to change those beliefs, change those narratives? And that oftentimes can really run into some bigger issues. It doesn't mean that that's who we are, that athlete version of ourselves, and that that becomes the predominant way we remain. But in order to sat satisfy the this stated goal, the desired outcome, it might require this. I hope that makes sense. The athlete version, in more specific, might have different nutritional needs might have different sleep needs, might have different training needs, might have a variety of different requirements and needs as it is supporting itself towards the outcome. So let's say you're plant-based. Um, due to your busy lifestyle and a variety of other beliefs, and I should probably define beliefs, beliefs are choices. Beliefs are something we hold to be true, not set, 
we used to believe in Santa Claus, and, but we no longer because we changed that. We cho chose to no longer believe in Santa Claus. Um, there's a lot of beliefs out there in our current environment that we choose to no longer hold on to, I hope, but also some people steadfast remain in them. Anyway, beliefs are choices. And are we making the choices to support the athlete we are looking to become? That new version of ourselves. It doesn't mean that that upgrade, that that version of ourselves is the one that stays. You might move past that version, just like in software. That version 2.1 might be quickly replaced with 2.2, 2.3, 2.4, and so forth. But what is it that we need to do in order to satisfy the athlete version that will be taking on a bigger and bigger role as we take on a huge endeavor like an ultra endurance event? And again, it's what we are tied to or what beliefs we're standing towards and what narrative or what way we see this going and how flexible we're willing to be. That's the conversation with the athlete. Are you willing to figure out, be flexible, grow, or change in order to support the bigger picture of the outcome? Now, of course, let's say what I use, for example, as a plant-based athlete. If as a plant-based athlete, you're looking to take on a huge endeavor and it's going to deplete you and you are not getting stronger, healthier, fitter because of the plant-based diet. You're just not getting certain nutritional requirements in to support the athlete version of yourself. Would you be willing to temporarily change that in order to achieve your outcomes? Can you go back to being plant-based? Absolutely. But it is important to at least have that conversation prior in order to think about, well, is my endeavor a big enough thing that I'm willing to make sacrifices or changes to my beliefs in order to achieve the desired outcome? And a lot of this is controversial. A lot of people fight me on this and that absolutely not. And that's fine. That's their belief. And they're going to stick to it despite the evidence of their individual body, I'm not saying overall, of their individual body showing that their adrenals are shot or weakened, that they're not getting in enough protein in order to, because it's just very, very, very hard to do on a plant-based diet unless you're eating a ton of certain types of food, which it's almost impossible to do if you have a busy lifestyle, family, and so forth, and can't get blood tests all the time to validate that you're getting enough, as well as supplementing, which oftentimes the supplements aren't quite as healthy in the first place, which are causing other side effects, which therefore are not being bonded properly in the body. There's so much going on. But and again, I'm not pretending to know everything about this, but I know enough that in order to support for this specific person, not this athlete, but just the athletes, the specific athlete, each athlete is an individual in themselves. And therefore, if the markers and the data and the insights are showing X, do we need to do Y to help X in order for the outcome to still happen, to be successful.
right? Again, this is not a question of a one-day affair. A lot of you could say, I am going to get through this because it's one day, I'll figure it out, I'm not looking to win. I totally agree. But when the things, the stakes, the distances, the volume, the endeavor starts taking on bigger time lines and frames like this, it's important to at least be open to the conversation. And I'm not just talking plant-based. I'm talking about a variety of things. The things you're willing to give up on, for example. Will you be comfortable to change your beliefs, the narratives, the stories you tell yourself? Because that's what beliefs are. That, you know, I need to do this in my community every week um, because of X, Y, Z. And that's what I believe in. I feel strongly about Well. Are you willing to temporarily stop going to church because you your training time? Am I willing to temporarily take a backseat in my business and let somebody else be the executive, the owner, or the CEO, or manager, or whatever, in order to fulfill this desired outcome? Am I willing to take a backseat as a family member. I mean, so I'm not talking nutrition or community or work or family individually. It's all these aspects where it's where am I willing to change how I'm willing to go about taking on this endeavor. It's a sensitive topic, but it's part of all these conversations that a lot of us seem to have overlooked when we're taking on major expeditions, adventures, things. And even in a microcosm of that, let's say you're doing an Ultraman, let's say you're doing a 100 mile run, 24, 30 hour events, where it requires a lot of training. There's adjustments that we're all taking in a micro form that are, um, that are challenging our beliefs and our narratives. Obviously, the entire concept of training is changing our beliefs. We're changing the belief of what we are right now and then what we can do in six or nine months from now. That's why we're training. Training is changing our beliefs via repetition and building confidence so that a new belief system, a new version of us sees and feels and can project who I am going to be. I used to not believe I could run 10 miles. Now I'm running 30 miles on a training day, right? You've changed your beliefs, but you've also changed your requirements. You've changed your reality around you. You've changed your needs. You've changed your confidence. You've changed your communication around these things. There's a lot happening. So training and this journey of training for endurance events is already a belief changing technology. And so from that, knowing that in a microcosm, we are constantly changing beliefs and constantly adjusting what our reality is. Well, guess what? I used to not be able to leave on Saturday mornings because my kids needed me for this for the soccer game. Now, for some reason, I've figured out how to get up at 5 a.m., be on my bike from 6 to 10 a.m., and be at the second half of the soccer game, and it's okay, <laughs> right? It's temporary. You're getting ready for an event, and you need like six or eight of those weekends. It doesn't mean that that isn't, doesn't bother you. 
or not bother you is the wrong term, but that it sticks with you a little bit that you're missing your children's soccer game? Sure, but you're temporarily suspending those beliefs that you must be there in order to achieve another outcome, the one of training, the one that I'm talking about here. Suspending beliefs, being open to looking at them differently, our lifestyle, who we are, how we navigate through this happens on a smaller scale, but it needs to be addressed and discussed on a bigger scale when the bigger the event, the bigger the endeavor, not bigger the event but with regards to people there or importance. I'm talking about the longer the event, the more time it sacrifices of our lives. But I think it's helpful for all of us to keep that in mind. What beliefs, what approach to my daily living can I put on hold or look at differently or suspend or not, right? There might be ones that was absolutely not. This is something I stand for. I'm convicted about it is who I am. It is important to me. I've gone through the process of understanding why it's important to me and what the narrative is and why I'm so emotionally attached and steadfast on it. And if you've done that inventory and understanding and you still choose to remain with that belief story narrative around that, so be it. That's fine. We all have our choice. I'm just saying the process of exploring that the process of looking at that, the process of seeing why we hold on to these beliefs, where it's coming from, where that story is coming from, that narrative, that's great. And that's part of the endurance and the new version of you that we're creating. And it's a lot of athletes talk to me or ask me about, well, it's not just the training I say, it's helping you understand that that new version of yourself is also letting go of an old version of yourself. Let's say you're the athlete that has lost 35 pounds, completely cleaned up your diet, trains a fair amount now, is getting doing endurance events. You've basically killed off. You've basically said goodbye to that old version of yourself, the one that ate unhealthy, that didn't exercise or train, the one that just had an unhealthy lifestyle. Goodbye. <laughs> that person is no longer you. It's still a little bit inside of you, of course, but you've chosen to believe in different things, healthy food versus junk food, you know, exercise and training versus lethargy and doing very little and also endeavored to be competitive or quantify your output and your results with the form of races and events. So those are versions that we're getting rid of. And the same thing in endurance athletics, we're constantly upgrading to new versions of ourselves. Version 2.37, 2.38, 2.39, right? It's constantly upgrading because we're learning via new experiences, creating new stories, new narratives in our beliefs and in our daily lives. And those are forming the new version of us versus who we were six months ago, before some simulations, before some long training days, before some difficult days or how to fit the training in. 
before making sacrifices, before communicating with your family on how you're going about this or what you're doing, before all those things. And so the magnified discussion with regards to this athlete in a three-month expedition versus our smaller expeditions, events, adventures that we take on, it's still a very similar process. There's still things happening in a variety of ways that address these beliefs and these versions of ourselves. That's why I bring it up. It's continuous growth to understand who we are now, who we want to be, how those upgrades, those versions of ourselves play into our daily conversation and our daily growth and our daily narrative all the time. We might not be noticing it, but it is always, always there, that new version of ourselves. Because here's also an interesting aspect. The new version we're working on, me, coach, you, athlete, cycling, running, swimming, strength training, chassis integrity, all the stuff that we're doing, that's the hardware. Beliefs and narrative, I see it sort of in my brain as the software. We're working, we're training the hardware, biking, running, swimming, strength, so forth, trail running, rowing, all kinds of different sports that we all endeavor to do. That's the external, that's the hardware, that's the, the, the components that we're getting stronger, fitter, smarter, not smarter, stronger, fitter, better, faster. But the software, that's inside of us, that's in our brain, that's our mindset, that's our mental game, that's the narrative, that's our beliefs, that's our confidence, that's our understanding, that's our growth, that's where it's happening too. So in many cases, my conversation with the athletes or potential athletes is, yes, we can upgrade the hardware, but are we also upgrading the software? And there's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of tension. Oftentimes, we don't want to upgrade the software. Oftentimes, the software is tied into a variety of other things, right? It's it, the tentacles of our beliefs and our, our mindset and our confidence and our mental game are tied into so much when it comes to the other versions of ourselves, the business version, the family version, the personal version of ourselves, the community version. There's a lot going on there. And upgrading the software often affects all those other versions. So we can apply the software upgrade in a variety of ways, that metaphor, <laughs> to now the programs that are on there, right? I guess the program of work, the program of community, the program of school, uh, of professional life, the program of family, the program of uh, whatever all of our programs are that the software is running. But I think you get the point. There's a variety of things that we also want to be aware of as we're taking on our endurance endeavors. And one of the important things, the whole point I'm trying to make is, are we willing to suspend certain beliefs, adjust certain beliefs, even just explore our beliefs, understand them better in order to support the athlete version. And how important is the goal, the desired outcome, the adventure, this, whatever it is, and that we're willing to make changes in order to temporarily support the athlete version in order to be successful. 
the athlete version is sick, weak, stressed, unable to do because other things are compromising the time needed for training, then we need to examine. And that's what I'm talking about. Well, <laughs> there you have it. I laugh listening to the podcast as I'm editing it and just thinking to myself, I just spoke for almost an hour on a sermon, basically <laughs> talking about the endurance mindset and beliefs and so forth. But it's important to me because as endurance athletes and ultra endurance athletes, it's different. We're not just heading to the gym for 45 minutes. We're not just doing some exercise every day. We are spending a fair amount of time on our own. And that time have a doubling effect. Not only are we working on the hardware, but we're also working on the software. And for us to kick out of this endurance journey, out of this endeavor, with a doubling effect of improving our external self with regards to fitness, with regards to strength, with regards to endurance, but also then having the second effect of having improved our mindset, our confidence, our reflection and beliefs, and how we navigate our energy through this world, how we're giving, how we're receiving, there's a lot happening as the endurance athlete. Part of my mission statement with inspiring health and fitness by bringing out the endurance athlete within all of us is exactly that, that because we're contemplating and reflecting and aware and observant to how the hours and the volume and the commitment and the discipline, it, it takes a lot and it impacts the rest of our versions, the professional version, the family version, the community version, the parenting version. And if we remain in harmony with that, remain aware of that and continuously try to grow it, but also stay aware of how one's pulling on the other, then we have a chance of longevity. Then we have a chance to keep the endurance athlete version as and the lifestyle with it as a permanent part of us. And that's when you really think about it, the long-term outcome here that you all and my wish for all of you and my hope for all of you is that you're healthy and you're fit and you can live your fullest life as the best version of yourself and continue to use fitness and health as an asset to not only grow personally, but be healthy in this <laughs> very difficult world that we're in. And health is wealth, as we've talked about here on the podcast. That's a big component on why the Weekly Word Podcast as an ultra-endurance resource, it's important to me to talk about and discuss and observe and share why this is more than just training. There's a lot more to that three-legged stool. There's a lot more to the versions of ourselves. And the better we understand that, the better our loved ones, the better our career, the better our community or church, etc., can be with us on that journey, journey, can contribute in a positive way. No, I'm not saying contribute like everybody at your office is going rah-rah, 
but that they know that that's a component of you that you care about is important and that's a part of you and it brings the better version of you forward to be a better employee, employer, executive, whatever it is. That being said, uh, (laughs) I will have plenty of time to reflect and observe and think, go inwards, since I just found out that my final (laughs) running partner for Tahoe Rim Trail is not going to be able to join. That doesn't mean that I'm running all five days by myself. I have friends who are with me in Tahoe, and they're going to join for components of it. But the full journey will be just me. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited, curious about this journey due to it being solo. I know it will be very difficult. I know there'll be a lot of doubts as I'm doing it by myself. When you're doing it by yourself and you're just facing your own doubts or negative thoughts, it becomes a different game. And I know I'll be fine that I will work through that. And as Emily says, she's like, you love that stuff. Come on. Um, (laughs) It's true. But on the other hand, it's also making it harder than it needs to be. And what I mean by that is when you have somebody else who's working with you, relying on you, and I rely on them, it's not like they're relying on me, or we were a group of three or four or five originally, it changes that narrative of negative thoughts. You're in a shared suffering. You're in a shared experience. And so doing this by myself will be a different animal. It's a different approach, and I will spend the next 10 days mentally preparing for it like that. Logistics-wise, it doesn't change that much. I still plan to just run the first three days with a vest, with a life straw, and some fluids, and some um, electrolytes via precision hydration so that I can deal with streams and water sources along the way. I'll have plenty of calories on me as well and some clothing in case weather comes in. And then the final two days will be loaded, right? Because I had explained earlier that those will be in the wilderness, those final two days. And I'll have friends join me on that. They're interested in the camping piece, not in the running piece. But those are 34-mile days the last two days. And that, that's where it becomes tricky, right? Just like a, a marathon de sable or five days, um, five deserts, five days, or any type of... Um, multi-day stage race. Knowing that the hardest component is on the back end makes managing energy and recovery and sleep and logistics different because the three days solo and lighter on the front end will really be a game of conserving energy, being smart about energy, knowing that the last two days are loaded with the gear and the food for camping. Um, And it's not like camping, camping. It'll probably just be a sleeping bag, some food, and um, a sleeping pad. Uh, It's speed packing, for lack of a better description. 34 miles on the final two days adds up. Um, Those last 68 miles are going to have a fair amount of elevation gain. And, you know, so... But the good thing is, 
people will be on that part of the course with me. Mentally, it'll be easier. So it'll be about managing the first three days of solo and effectively getting through that. But again, it's a different game because I'm not staying up on the trail. I'm coming off the trail every afternoon and returning to the trail early in the morning in the same spot I left to truly make it the full trail. But coming off, it'll be about, again, just like an Ultraman or like a other events, about 100% managing the body, the refueling, the replenishing, the rebuilding, and the mind for the next day. It should be a fun adventure. It should be a curious adventure. It will give me plenty of time <laughs> to spend in my head. And, you know, that's part of it. But it's beautiful. It's unique. It's something I've always wanted to do, explore. But it's, it's sort of what I signed up for. And it's I'm excited now to do it solo in that respect. Plenty of people up on the trail, I'm sure. It will be truly uh, self-curated, self-completed adventure. All right, you guys. Well, you have a great week. I don't think I'm going to be able to podcast next week. I might. I'm heading to Park City for a week with my kids, some R&R and some playtime with them. My son's baseball tournament got canceled. He had a national tournament in Reno, but that got canceled last week, last second. So I'm off to a last minute vacation with them. But the nice thing is it's Park City. So I'll be at altitude. And from there, from those light workouts in Park City, we'll head down to Tahoe because Park City's at a higher elevation than Lake Tahoe. Basically, the highest peaks of the run of Tahoe Rim Trail will be lower than where I'll be running and cycling and playing this week, the Wasatch Mountains. Therefore, I'm not sure if I'm going to have an opportunity to podcast for next week, nor unless something really exciting comes up, <laughs> do I have much to share. I'd rather share it after the adventure. I have a special guest who's going to come on the podcast after the adventure. I think you guys will really enjoy that. I'm looking forward to the conversation with him, and I'm looking forward to sharing the experience and the observations and the reflections and the books <laughs> I listen to on the next podcast. I will be uh, pretty active on Instagram from the trail, not because while I'm on the trail, I'm posting on social media, but I will be taking pictures and sharing some thoughts on a daily basis from the trail or in the evenings when I'm back down off the trail. And I'm sure David will help me upload those and get all that information out. Little uh, shameless plug there. And then lastly, Oregon Coast Drive. It's full and uh, that'll be that. So have a great week, everybody. I look forward to talking to you on the other side. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking to you guys on the other side. Thank you. Have a great week or two.